Welcome to the No Labels, No Limits podcast. I'm Sarah Box, your host. This week, we're listening again to three of our guests, Catherine Binkley, Brandy Anderson, and Claudette Rowley. Catherine is a business strategist and mindset coach for female entrepreneurs. She shares her aha moment, that moment or series of events, when it finally clicked and she went after her goal of starting her own business. Brandy Anderson, when I interviewed her, was the chief marketing officer for a large education company, wildly successful. Um, And shortly after we finished our interview, Brandy actually went out on her own as, as a marketing ad agency and has been very successful already. Brandy tells us how she learned why you cannot get through life without other people, and the value of being vulnerable and asking for help. Claudette is the CEO of Cultural Brilliance, a design and change management firm, and the author of a book by the same name, Cultural Brilliance. Claudette talks about the intersection of mindset, behavior, and culture, and their impact on the bottom line results of an organization, and how having an external view of your organization can help you focus change on the right challenge in the right way. So join in as we listen to short clips from each of these interviews. I know you'll enjoy it. We have a treat today as I introduce you to today's guest, Catherine Binkley. So let me tell you a little bit about Catherine and um, her background. So she's a business strategist and a mindset coach. And She says her mission is to help female entrepreneurs live their best lives by creating wildly profitable businesses. But after 10 years in being in marketing and the agency world where she was having great successes, she ventured out on her own to take control of the impact she could have on women who are also craving success, but also flexibility, happiness, and financial freedom. And she says she's never looked back once. What was that aha moment or series of moments for you that you just finally said or said, it's my time, I want to make this change and and take this leap and start my own venture? Well, I wish I could say that it was super glamorous and I just decided one day (laughs) that this is what I was going to do. But really, it was a series of events that more so I feel like was the universe just like kicking me into action. Um, I'd been thinking about it for a while. Um, I had seen my mom start her own business earlier. I had known that I had the skill set to go out on my own. I was serving clients and managing everything from beginning to end for my clients and just doing it under someone else's name. And so I knew that I could do it. And I thought about it. But finally, one day, my boss called me into her office and she decided to share her plans for restructuring her company with me. And I was really um, excited to hear the news. I love change. I love talking about growth. And so I was excited to see how she was transitioning her business. I helped market our own agency at that point, as well as handling marketing for clients. And so I was curious how she was going to move forward. But as she unfolded her plan, she started to share with me her thoughts about my career path. And she was really excited and positioned this move as something that was going to be a big promotion and opportunity for me. Unfortunately, I did not feel that way at all. When I heard the direction she was moving in with her company, it was, it was just so out of alignment with where I 
felt I wanted to go. And it felt out of alignment with my values as well. It seemed as though she was restructuring in a way that was going to prioritize productivity and profit for the company, which is great for her, but it was at the expense of the people who are working for her and the quality of work for clients. And so I really hesitated and struggled through probably a few weeks of thinking, okay, what is this going to look like? Because she was going to completely, as I said, restructure in the sense of we had different departments. I was managing all of the employees, the clients and projects related to anything marketing in the company. And all of a sudden, everything was going to shift and be separated. And I knew that this isn't where I needed to be anymore. And so with that in mind, I, I honestly really struggled and I started to create this plan B of, okay, so I've been thinking about doing this business thing on my own for a while. Maybe now's the time. And I started to dream and plan, but I was in a strict non-compete. And so I couldn't just go to another agency or start a local agency here. I needed to do something very different. And I, I decided to kind of take some baby steps into it. And so with that said, I also had to have, I, I needed to notify her, right? I didn't want to do anything that was outside of, I, I believe in doing the right thing. I'll just put it that way. So I shared with her that I was, I had already been clear about my thoughts and beliefs around the, the direction she was going and how I didn't feel like that was the right path that I'm happy to serve in the interim. But then I shared with her that I was going to start doing something else on the side. Well, that didn't go over so well. <laughs> and so I found myself within a matter of weeks laid off. And I mean, it's not that surprising, but at the time I really didn't expect it. I was honest and open and thought that I would have a little more time. Well, I didn't. So that kicked me right into gear. And I guess that's how it all got started. That's interesting. Um, a couple of things I want to ask you to talk a little bit more about and how they shaped how you went forward. So when you were talking about it not being a lot in alignment with your um, values and your beliefs, did that, when you recognized that, had you known that? Like, did you, were you always really clear on that? Or was it the changes where that made you really reflect on what are my values and beliefs? And then can I even stay here? You know, I really already had a good foundation for what my values and beliefs were and both personally and professionally. And I had started to sense that the company prioritized profit over people in general. And as I started to feel that, I was told by others in the company that they were making changes, they were transitioning, that things were going to, to shift. But as soon as I heard this news from her, it was clear that that wasn't actually going to be the case. So yeah, I already had a feeling that things were potentially out of alignment long-term, but then this solidified it for me. Okay. Then did you, did that shape how you formed your own business then in terms of how you thought about it or structured it? Do you have staff? Do you work remotely with people? Because what you've learned in that relationship thing, I guess what I'm after is how did that influence um, yeah. how you structured your work or and or how you work with your female clients who may have some of those same issues coming up either in the business they're running or one they're trying to create? 
So I had a really fortunate experience right out of college. The first agency that I worked with taught me everything that I so firmly believe now about how you should treat your people. And so I had a great experience to compare that to and contrast that with. And so I think both experiencing what that should look like and feel like, as well as then what it didn't have both influenced me. And now I do have, I do have an employee. I have several contractors that I work with and I intentionally invest in my own leadership skills, working with a mentor to improve that, talk about company values and prioritize the people. I am building a life that lights me up and I want anyone who works with me to be able to experience a life that lights them up as well. And I just hope to be a part of that. Randy Anderson, thank you so much for joining us today. And for my listeners, I want to let you know that I first met Brandy maybe five months ago, and we have not known each other that long. But in that short amount of time that I have known Brandy, I have been impressed by both how she shows up in the world, her integrity level, and also what I would term as just pressing on. So it seemed to me that Brandy had a lot to share with the audience. And so Brandy, would you want to share a little bit about yourself and before we dive into our conversation? Sure. Thank you for that introduction. Um, as you said, I'm Brandy Anderson and I am a very proud native Nevadan. I was raised here by um, several parents and all of my grandparents. Everybody that I was ever related to in life was in northern Nevada and still is. Um, and in a lot of ways, this community in you know Reno has shaped me. And at one point in my life, in fact, the day that I graduated from college, I thought this place can't hold me. I'm gonna I'm gonna go and see the world and go places that can handle what I have to offer the world. And then very quickly, like many Nevadans do, I call us boomerangs. I came, you know, flying back a couple of years later and going, wait, wait a minute, this is an amazing place and intentionally have chosen to, um, you know, raise my family. My husband's also a native Nevadan. He's a firefighter with the Reno Fire Department. And we have intentionally chosen to have our careers here, stay connected to our family and our friends and the people that we've grown up. And do everything we can to invest positively and give back to the community that has given us so much. Um, I'm in marketing. I'm the chief marketing officer of an education company. Now I've been in marketing for about 20 years. I knew that I wanted to be in marketing um, when who's the boss was on TV when I was 10 years old, Angela Bauer owned an ad agency and I used to be fascinated with the work that she would bring home, you know, getting toolboxes out and, crafting logos for plumbers out of tools. And I just, I knew right then I was going to be in advertising and I never flinched. It's just, that's just what I wanted to do because I'm creative. I'm sassy. I don't take myself very seriously. And what fascinates me about marketing and communication is that you can have a profound emotional effect and move somebody and help change their lives and never have met them once just by the words and the ideas and the intentions that you put out through messaging. And that's what really drives me. 
I want to just dive right in and ask you the question. And um, if you can talk about a time that you faced a change or a challenge that you did not feel prepared to make, um, or or a time that you faced when you were prepared to make, but just really those sticking points and how did you handle it? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm, I'm going to share two, but they're related. The first one, um, uh, several years back, I mean, something you should know about me, I'm I fancy myself a troublemaker when I feel like the trouble is going to produce a better outcome for those around me and the people that, you know, I care about. And there was a few years ago when I was very dismayed at the public public discourse at the city council level in Reno, um, really about the way that they were treating the very valuable public servants and people that work to keep our community running and um, people that have, you know, put their lives in danger to go and help people. I was, I was frustrated with the way things were going. I was just, I wasn't seeing anyone that I thought was going to try and change the conversation or bring these situations to light. And so after a lot of soul searching and out of a lot of convincing my husband to get out of our comfort zone, I decided to run for city council. And I filed on the very last day. I was actually in Arizona when I filed and I filed and I was running against a, a woman who had been in service for eight years and had absolutely no idea what I was doing. But the fire inside me about the principled idea that we had elected leaders that were actually disintegrating the trust in the public of the people that actually that go in to try and solve problems and keep people safe. Um, that drove me to run for city council. And it was, it was fascinating. It was fun. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever done in my life. It was also one of the most terrifying because I go into things very um, passionate and as educated as I can, but I also go in there with that, you know, that little troublemaking voice in my head, like you don't have to take anything from anybody unless you have something, they have something valuable to share and to give. And I'm always willing to learn things and evolve my opinion. That was, it's really hard in a political landscape to, learn and evolve your opinion without being criticized for learning and evolving, right? I mean, there were some times when I was the most scared I've ever been in my life to speak to people that I knew didn't agree with me, to share my ideas and answer their questions with integrity without the, you know, succumbing to the pressure of just wanting to give them the answer that they wanted. And um, the biggest value that I got from that experience, I was not elected, was that we were able to rally a lot of like-minded people that A, really appreciated being stood up for, and B, were willing to get out of their comfort zones on behalf of an idea and on behalf, because it wasn't on behalf of me, although I would have been the elected one. It was on behalf of what was right and what was wrong and ideals. And to be a part of a group that's willing to put themselves into positions that they would have never done before was exceptionally humbling for me. And, um, and it was really fun. Now, ultimately, my second example here is three weeks before that election, I had a challenge that was thrust on me that I would have never chosen and was one of the scariest of my life. And that was when my six-year-old son um, was diagnosed with leukemia. So that's something that 
is a complete rug being pulled out from under your feet. You know, you're, you're moving. I was knocking on a door canvassing and I got a phone call from my husband who had just gotten off the phone with the pediatrician that I needed to come home right away that our son had leukemia. And that is just the world in that moment froze. It went silent. I couldn't hear anything that was going on around me other than what do we do next, you know? And he was in treatment for three years. It was the most terrifying thing that I've ever gone through. I'm, I would be somebody that you would describe as type B plus. I'm not even a type B. I'm certainly the farthest away from a type A kind of a person. But when you are in a cancer situation and you know that bacteria is the biggest danger to that little human that you love so much for the next three years, I had to learn how to be a nurse. I had to learn how to be a germ phobe. You know, it, it was... It was a really scary and also exceptionally rewarding time because at that time I learned one of the biggest lessons that I had always been too stubborn to accept is that you cannot get through life without accepting help from other people and you shouldn't try. There's so much value to be gained by being vulnerable and asking other people for help. You must have had a lot of kind of moments where you weren't sure what direction to go, right? So you had three weeks between the time he was diagnosed and the actual election itself. What happened during that time, Brandy? How did you move through those three weeks? Well, the first thing was um, the number one thing my husband and I decided in that moment was that we had to be willing to accept help from others, not only on the political campaign side, but on our personal side. I mean, I, I had to stop working. We almost lost our house. In those moments, you get the most, you're the most vulnerable, but also you get to experience the love and the energy and the, the generosity of people that you know and people that you've never met before. And that changed our worldview. The the one thing that it did for me on the on the candidacy side was realize that this isn't up to me anymore. You know, whatever happens happens and I I completely embraced that. I knew that that was not my fight and I was just going to see how that ended up rolling. On the side of my son's cancer, again, accepting help from the people that love you, you what you realize is that in time times like this, people want to do things. And it's not just for you. It's not just for your benefit. It's to help them heal and to help them process what what's going on around them. And so that's what we did. We just accepted that we couldn't go this alone and took everything day by day. And um, I would say the one thing that helped me the most was having the ability to write a blog. There's a site called Caring Bridge that is a, it's a nonprofit organization that gives you the opportunity to um, create a web page about your personal journey or your, your health journey. Because one thing that can be really overwhelming is answering 50 different people's incoming questions about how you're doing being able to blog about it and write about it and tell everybody the same thing at the same time and be thoughtful and authentic about it is literally how I survived those three years. 
Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. I'm excited to share with you our guest today, Claudette Rowley. Claudette is the owner of Cultural Brilliance, which is a cultural design and change management consultancy. And she's the author of Cultural Brilliance, The DNA of Organizational Excellence. And that is a 2019 book. But then over the last 20 years, she has consulted at Fortune 1000 companies, small businesses, academic institutions, and startups. So she's helped people create and be very proactive and innovative in terms of their cultures in order to deliver the results thereafter. When you define culture, how do you define it? So I define culture as mindsets, behaviors, and structures that sequence in patterns that are often unseen. And these patterns drive communication, decision-making, and results in organizations. So I look at culture at three levels, mindset, behavior, and structure, because when we're trying to shift culture, those are the three three levels you want to look at. More simply put, um, I think of culture is a set of beliefs that have that indicate the behavioral norms, that drive the behavioral norms in your organization. And those, those behaviors, as we know, are key to the results that you're getting. That's helpful because sometimes culture is taken just in terms of more demographic kinds of descriptors, if mm-hmm. you will. When people, do you think people underestimate the impact of culture on an organization or a company? I, absolutely. I, I really think that people do. Um, and I think some of that has to do with the fact that it is hard, it's sometimes hard, really hard to understand your own culture because you're in it all day long, right? It's like you, you're steeped in it. And so unless the, the, I believe people can start to shift and make positive changes in the culture from any level, but unless you have your leadership team really on board because they're the key decision makers, it's going to be hard to change. But yeah, I, I think culture is underestimated. And I think, as I said, a lot of it's because people don't understand how it works or they think it's, it's, it's morale or it's the mm. social calendar. And those things are very important, absolutely, and they're part of culture. But they're not, they're not really the driving force. And when I, I had a very early experience in my mid-20s um, work experience where I worked in one organization and I, I had this really great experience. I had this amazing manager and I saw myself who gave me a, you know, a project, a, this team I needed to build. And he said, here are your parameters and do whatever you want within the parameters. So it was very you know, creative for me. And I really thrived and I created something I was really proud of that met the organizational needs. I felt really confident. And then I moved to a different state and got another job. And I, the culture was toxic and I didn't know anything about culture. You know, I was in my late twenties by then, but I didn't know anything about culture and I, in any formal way. And it was toxic and I still did a good job there. And I had an interesting job, but I noticed how my confidence really took a hit. And I noticed that difference even so many years ago. And, and so I think it was, the, it was those two contrasting experiences that really started me on this path. So to answer your question about how powerful it is, yeah, it can take down your confidence to be in a, in a not even a toxic culture, but one that just doesn't work very well. Does, when you think about a toxic culture, and I'm reflecting back onto one of the signs about bullying yeah. Right. And sometimes how that can be, at least in my work experience over my long career, <laughs> career, mm-hmm. bullying can be subtle. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think about, as you're describing a toxic culture and not working well, are people, how would they know they're in a toxic culture if it's not overt? I mean, if someone's yelling at you and you're, they're berating you all the time, that's fairly overt. But what mm-hmm. if it's less obvious than that? What are, how might someone know that? Because I would imagine you could feel kind of nuts. Right. You, yeah, you could. You could. I think it, it's such it's a very insightful question because I think a lot of times it's not over the toxicity, right? Because people will often maintain a certain level of professionalism on the surface, right? So they're not necessarily going to yell. I mean, of course, I've seen that happen too. But I think when there's a lot of um, office politics, when there's a lot of gossip, that's, but it's all behind the scenes kind of underneath the table gossip, um, it's not really in front of other people. Uh, if you you know you don't feel comfortable taking a risk because you're worried you're gonna get stabbed in the back or no one's gonna support you, you have you have to have your own back, right? No one's gonna have it. That sort of feeling. Those are all signs that you're probably in some kind of toxic culture. I don't I don't think office politics needs to be part of culture, and I certainly don't think gossip need, needs to be part of any culture for sure. And I find I mentioned those because I find they're often accepted as just part of working in an organization. And I think we can actually do better. So let's say I invite you in because I'm not clear on what my problem is, but I'm looking and I'm assuming I'm part of the problem if it's my organization. So I'm not clear, but I've got this sense that something's not right. And my numbers just indicate a little bit might be like that. And I say, Claudette, can you come in and help us? So first Mm -hmm. question is, do, is it beneficial to have an external person come help or is it an inside job? And then if it is more beneficial, even if it's not, would you talk up to us about what does that like to work with someone like you? Hmm. Yeah, I, I, of course, I'm a bit biased, but I think it's, it's helpful to have an external person, at least at the beginning. And here's why, because if, when I go into an organization, I am as objective as it's possible for a human to be, right? Because I don't, I'm there to learn, observe, assess. I, I don't have any skin in the game other than helping the organization. So I am not steeped in the culture. So it is much easier for me to observe it, the parts that are observable. And so I think when you're trying to, un, oh, and I, I talk about in my work, you know, understanding how a culture really operates. And so when you're in that phase of trying to understand how your culture operates, to have an outside perspective is really, really valuable. It, I, you can do it without an outside perspective, but you're going to need to have someone internally who is skilled at being able to stand outside of things, so to speak, and be objective and really forget everything he or she knows, thinks that they know about the culture. That's huge. And when you are in your um, objective learning phase, are you looking within those buckets of mindset, behavior, and structure and kind of evaluating or observing those functions or something in different? And that's part of it. Those buckets are things at the end of that first assessment phase, which I call authenticity in my system. Um, but at the end of it, that's where we start you know, filling those buckets, so to speak, with the information we've gathered. Uh, but initially, yeah, I mean, certainly observation, and we can, we observe, can observe some behaviors. But what, you know, uh, organizations may go through some different assessments. There's a, an assessment I usually facilitate, a group exercise that I facilitate, I'll do observing, I'll do interviewing, whatever the case may be, but to doing lots of different things to gather information. And, you know, we've usually, that's all planned out in advance, you know, what's going to happen. But once we've gathered the information, 
then I actually work with the company itself to start putting, you know, what mindsets have we uncovered? You know, what are the beliefs you've uncovered about the culture? What are um, the behaviors that you're seeing, you know, and what are the structures, which could be, you know, op the way the operations work, the systems and processes work, things like that.